Hello, and welcome to You Should Hear This, a podcast for the Everyday Association Professional. I'm Nick Estrada, your host. In today's episode, we begin our series with a discussion about what exactly it is we do. Most association professionals never started their careers thinking they'd be in this line of work when they began, but here they are. Describing what we do on a day-to-day basis can be difficult. Our friends and family don't always grasp what it is we do. So today we discuss how to develop your elevator pitch and how to share the work we do and why it's important and valuable to the everyday individual. Joining me today is Mark McSweeney, CAE, Vice President Association Strategies for Rayburn Group International and the Executive Director of the Indiana Society of Association Executives. Thanks for being here today, Mark. Thank you, Nick. It's awesome to be here. Excited about this. Yeah, excited to have you. You're the first official guest of the podcast, so thank you. So just to start us off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into the association world. Well, sure. Um, You know, I, just like you said in the introduction of this whole thing, Surprisingly enough, I did not set out to be an association executive. That was not my life's ambition. But I was in uh, the for-profit world working for Xerox Corporation in Chicago, uh, but very involved as a volunteer in my national fraternity. And uh, I was, they called it co-dean at the time. So I was basically the co-chair of our educational conference Mm -hmm. one year. And um, at the end of that conference, our current executive director announced that he would be stepping down. And uh, so I thought about throwing my hat in the ring and did. My wife said, it's about time you start getting paid for some of this work. So uh, <laughs> that's how it happened. I, I, uh, I was hired by the board, moved me from Chicago here to Indianapolis. And 30 some years later, whatever it is, I'm here. So um Worked with the fraternity, uh, their foundation, and their housing corporation at the time, and uh, learned a ton. Uh, I probably forgot a lot of it, but learned a ton in that process. Uh, I've uh, served other associations I've now been a part of. Uh, was with the National Chimney Sweep Guild, which again proves there is an association for everything. <laughs> and the Chimney Safety Institute of America, I was with them for about a decade, a little over that, I guess, and then came here to uh, RGI and served as the uh, executive director for the Vacation Rental Managers Association. And currently, as you said, I'm with the um, executive director for ISAE and the Association Societies Alliance, which is the association for all the people that do what I do for ISAE around Mm -hmm. the country. And then the rest of my day job is doing uh, 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 consulting work and business development work for RGI and for other associations, working with their boards and their professional staffs, that kind of stuff. So it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I work for associations as well. I think we all love this work. Um, I'm intrigued, though, to know just from your perspective, you know, none of our friends and family, I feel like, know what it is we do. When I talk to my friends and family, sometimes my, even my parents tell people, I just, I plan parties, right? That's what I do. That's what I'm here for. Of course. So I'm curious why it is that association work seems to be so hard to describe. It's a great question. And for 30 years, I've been trying to figure out the best answer to it as well. And I think I've gotten better at it over the years, but 
the idea of an association, you know, typically when I say, hey, I'm an association manager where I work with associations, everybody's go-to is, oh, like my homeowners association? Mm. No, definitely not your homeowners <laughs> association. Um, so, you know, you can throw out examples like, you know, the NBA or the NFL or, you know, big groups like that, that everybody can at least knows what they are, don't, doesn't realize what they do, but knows what they are anyway by association, no pun intended. Um, but it's, you know, my kids, they're all adults now, but I don't, I don't know that they could adequately say what I do for a living, although some of them have gotten involved in some of the things I do, so they've just kind of learned to appreciate it over the years. But, you know, generally when somebody asks me, so what does that mean? What, what does an association do? My initial go-to is I will ask them, what do you do for a living? And they'll tell me what they do for a living. And I will tell them there is a trade association or a membership association that represents what you do. So if you are a marketing professional, there's an association for that. If you're a funeral director, there's an association for that. If you're a hotelier, there's an association for that. And once I put it in their own terms, a lot of times it's like, oh yeah, I've heard of them. I just didn't, didn't think about it. Or yeah, I'm a member of that group. Just didn't think that there were people that actually had to manage that group. Um, but the other piece of it is, is if I'm talking to somebody who just, yeah, they get it or they're not a member of the association or they think, yeah, that's just a group that wants my money or whatever, to be able to explain to them, well, hey, look at some of the things that associations do for the world. And there's stuff they do for their own membership for sure, but you know, look at you know, a, a good example that most anybody can recognize even today is that the Got Milk campaign mm -hmm. from the 90s. I mean, that is, you know, decades old, but that was started by a relatively speaking small association in California for milk processors, mm -hmm. right? And that thing just took off, then grew this, grew national legs a couple of years into it. And how many different pictures have we seen over the years with somebody famous and that, and that milk mustache, mm -hmm. that was all about growing awareness for milk and milk mm -hmm. processing. Uh, there's uh, uh, the, you can think of larger groups like like a Rotary International or, or local here at Indianapolis, Kiwanis that's headquartered here. Just think about the work that they groups like that do for the world. And those are membership associations. There's a, um, just this past year, there is a group of uh, alcohol distributors. It's the uh, National Beer Wholesalers Association that created a campaign. So these are people that, the, this is an association that represents those that distribute beer and other forms of alcohol. And they took it upon themselves to create this campaign where they're now putting into bars information to educate people about the si signs to look for in human trafficking. Mm. Has nothing to do with what alcohol distributors do, but they as an association realize we have an opportunity. We're in these establishments where unfortunately some of this stuff happens. Here's how we can educate the people that know those, those, those establishments, right? So uh, that, that kind of public awareness 
type of thing is a great example of the work that associations do. This past year during the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, the National Funeral Directors Association, they lobbied for their own members, their funeral directors, to make sure that in addition to the important work that first responders were doing and all the help that they got for, for PPE equipment, funeral directors who were all of a sudden just uh, inundated with uh, work, unfortunately, from people that died from the pandemic, were having to work on these bodies without protection. Mm. And um, so NFDA, the National Funeral Directors Association, they lobbied to get them included in that, that class of folks that had priority access to PPEs. So that's an example of a trade association that is working on behalf of its members specifically. Mm -hmm. But the other two are, are, examples of, are, are examples of the incredible work associations do for the world. Rotary International, they've, they have almost single-handedly had because of the, of the power of their membership and the international network they have through their membership have, are, are as the campaign says now, so close to eliminating polio around hmm. the world um, just because of the power of association. Yeah. So I think sometimes, you know, all those examples you just shared, I think really highlight how often we're likely impacted by associations, but never make that connection, mm -hmm. right? We never realized that that Got Milk ad yep. was started by an association, you know, because we didn't see it when it began, right? We've seen it now that it's this national thing, you know, or as you mentioned, right, even thinking about some of those other groups, NBA, NFL, any of the players associations, right? Mm -hmm. We don't think about those because they feel at some level, probably to the general public, like a for-profit organization, mm -hmm. right? They're making all this money, which I think leads me into a little bit of my next question. Uh oh Associations, they're nonprofits, right? So they can't make any money. So how, how, do you, how are you paid? How do you get any funding? How does this work? You know, a colleague of, of mine in ISAE uh, once said that nonprofit is an IRS, is a, is a tax status, not a business strategy. So when you look at the world of nonprofits, and it doesn't matter whether it's an association, whether it's a foundation, whatever it is, any of the nonprofits, that are out there, they are still businesses. So when you when you look at the term nonprofit, that doesn't mean that the business does not make money. It's what they do with the money that really defines them as a nonprofit. So the money they make, the profits, if you will, or in our terms, in association or nonprofit terms, is more about surplus. Um, but that that additional money that you make goes back into the organization. It doesn't go to shareholders or nobody's personally making money off of it. But the money that goes back into the organization, that covers all of their expenses. While staff, the job of whether it's the executive director or CEO or, or the director of membership or an administrative assistant, whoever it is, those are all professional staff that need to be paid. And that just comes out of the expenses of the organization. So absolutely, nonprofits need to make money or they don't stay in business very long. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So you've talked, I think, a lot about how you can kind of make that personal connection to an individual um, to help them understand a little bit about associations. But if we want to hit on a little bit here in terms of the elevator pitch, what are maybe three or so kind of key messages that if someone has not really heard of what we do that we really need to focus on? Good question. Uh, you know, I think the when talking about the work of associations, 
I tend to go back to, again, what that person I'm talking to on the elevator does. Mm -hmm. So if that person on, on the elevator is a funeral director, I can let them know there's an association, sometimes multiple associations that are out advocating on your behalf mm -hmm. to help you make, help make your job as relatively easy and efficient as possible. Um, so I think that's one of the first things we do. If we're talking about the trade, you know, membership trade association, trade type of associations or individual membership associations, um, we're providing resources to you to help make your professional life a little bit easier. Um, in addition, we also then are bringing together the, the collection of resources from our entire in respective industry. And we're doing things like I mentioned, the Alcohol Distributors Association that is taking resources from an entire industry and channeling that into a different type of public service campaign that because of their unique connections, they're able to have a positive impact on. So those are at least a couple of the, of the key things that I think associations do. And at least my experience is most people get it once you have that kind of conversation. Mm -hmm. like, okay, now I'm connecting the dots. And the fact that you have all of these groups, these associations that by and large have to be professionally managed by somebody. They are, back to your point about nonprofit, it is a business and that business needs to be managed. Mm -hmm. And so there are professionals, there's an entire industry of professionals and an association for those industry professionals, <laughs> but there's an entire industry of professionals that have to manage those associations and make them quit yeah. every day. Or the, the Got Milk campaign likely would have just fizzled out as just some local fun thing that happened in California. Yes, would have been in a couple of newspapers, yep. a couple of TV ads, and then it would have been over. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so switching gears here a little bit, you mentioned you used to work for Xerox. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious, A, you made a switch obviously from a for-profit to kind of the nonprofit association side. How do we help people see those shifts and how they can bring maybe the passion they have for their industry onto the association side? The, the transferable skills from for-profit to nonprofit are plentiful. Uh, you know, the things that I learned, uh, sales, customer service, all of those types of uh, financial budgeting, all those types of things have to come into play in the association world. So, you know, customer service becomes more of a member service, or you can look at or other stakeholders for sure, but let's specifically talk about member service. So that customer service skill translates over to that. The uh, financial side, budgeting side, while some of the terminology in, non in the nonprofit world is a little bit different on the financial side, the bottom line is the same. So uh, you still need to look at your revenues, you still need to look at your expenses, and you're still, your goal is to have, you know, a healthy bottom line once, once all of that uh, plays out. So those skills are the same. The general human skills, the management skills, the the uh, whether it's employment employee management, uh, volunteer management in the nonprofit world, or employee management. Again, those are all skills that transfer over. So, the the nice thing about the world of nonprofit in general is that there are so many opportunities for people to explore their passion mm -hmm. and find 
the why behind what they do. It's realizing it's not, I'm not just doing this and working hard so that shareholders can get some money here. I'm doing this because of the impact it has on so many other people out there. Yeah. Um, and there's just something good about that. I think that that makes you feel good doing what you're doing. Well, I think we're in a unique maybe time in the workforce where there are a lot of folks who I think are coming into the workforce. So, you know, our Gen Z folks, right? We're looking for that meaning, mm -hmm. that passion that they can connect to something that they feel like they're having an impact on something broader um, that, and not to downplay the for-profit side by any means. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of companies out there that have great social impact, uh, but I think they're finding maybe that, okay, I just spent two to three years working for this big company and I don't really know what I, what I impacted, where I think if on the association side, you've got some really tangible ways that you're seeing that impact sometimes. You know, you are seeing your members at events, you're seeing the things that you can help legislate against um, to help make their lives easier. And so I think you have an opportunity to really see that impact come to fruition where mm -hmm. that's not always the case, I think, in a for-profit company. Well, you know, and it's, you know, when I think back using that example, when I think back to my Xerox days, and I was pretty young at the time, but me and my kind of support level, sales support level role was so far removed in from my office in Chicago to the CEO of Xerox office out in New York, wherever it was. Um, and he was a fraternity brother of mine, by the yeah. way, but I never knew him. And it, you're so far removed from that kind of corporate structure. Now I realize when we're talking about for-profit, there's there's a Xerox stuff and there's right. the mom and pop stuff and everything in between. But nonetheless, I think when you look at the, the association side, most associations tend to be relatively small staff mm -hmm. associations, meaning you have less than 10 or so employees. So from the entry-level position to the executive director slash CEO level, to your point, if I'm at any level in that organization, I'm going to see the impact. I'm not so far removed from the strategy of that organization to not appreciate the work that I'm doing and how it impacts what the organization is doing and how our members are benefiting from it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in a day-to-day, -day, kind of what would you explain to somebody that, you know, obviously we've now we've gone through the, I've made the personal connection with you. I've helped you understand that there is indeed an association that might support your work. Um, you know, but maybe you're talking to offer like an accountant, right? I come in every single day, I balance these things, or I'm an auditor, I travel around the country every week, and I go in and I look at financial statements for companies, and I say they're good to go. How would you describe what it is that you do on a day-to-day -day basis? <laughs> uh, wow, it, any day can be all over the map, which is kind of fun, mm -hmm. um, and there are certain things we have to do day in, day out. There's, you know, there is from a financial side, there is processing dues payments or purchases of materials or whatever. Um, but it can be anything from working with my board of directors on setting strategic vision for the organization to planning a small regional educational event to a large national conference to not just planning, but then executing that to, uh, you know, working on promoting the brand of the association. Um, well, you name it. I mean, mm -hmm. there's just, it, it could be anything. And a lot of that depends on the size of the staff. Mm -hmm. 
So if I'm a staff of like ISA, we have two full-time exec, full-time equivalent staff members. So we can't, we're hardly departmentalized. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to, all three of us have to kind of wear a lot of different hats every day. And while the buck may stop with me, that doesn't mean that I'm not needing to roll up my sleeves and help with whatever the task might be of the day. And similarly, it's not like Million Stew can't make decisions as well. They don't need to come with to me with everything. So it just kind of depends on the staff itself. Mm-hmm. Now you get into a large association, and there are some very large associations. They're going to be a little more compartmentalized or departmentalized. Um, and may look and feel a little more corporate from a structure standpoint anyway. Sure. Uh, but still, you're going to have people wearing just all sorts of different hats. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun. I mean, that, that's yeah, what keeps absolutely. it exciting. I think we have, I mean, yeah, I think there's a unique opportunity for, especially small staff associations, you know, to really put your hands in a lot of different mm-hmm. things, right? To say, hey, oh, I want to try some meetings or I want to try some database management mm-hmm. or I want to try... Uh, working with the board or some facilitation of a program because you have that opportunity to really kind of cast a wide net. Um, And I think especially for, again, young professionals, I think that's a really unique opportunity to see where their passion is. You know, if they're passionate about the association world, that's one thing. But if we can now help them direct where that should go, I think that's a really unique opportunity that, again, I don't know that they're always getting in maybe the the fully corporate side uh, because those sometimes feel a little bit more, this is your job and that's what you do. Um, so I think we, we get a little bit of a leg up there sometimes. One of the things, so at the beginning, right, we're, we've talked a couple times now about we didn't think we would do this uh, when we started our careers. You, know, you work for Xerox. Um, my degrees are in forensic science. I would have <laughs> I'm supposed to be working in a lab right now mm-hmm. analyzing things. Uh, but that is obviously not where I've ended up. And I think part of this, I guess, is and I've heard a lot of conversations around this recently about kind of a lack of I don't know if it's workforce development or a lack of a pipeline into the industry. Um, so I'm just curious your thoughts on what we can maybe do as association professionals to kind of just increase the awareness of this industry and the work that we do. You know, that's a uh, that happens to be one of the strategic priorities for ISA right now is to build that brand awareness and not just brand awareness of ISA itself, brand awareness of the association industry as an industry. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that is something very near and dear to us. We don't have the exact answer to it yet, <laughs> but uh, I think that's the that is the key is just letting more and more folks know that this stuff is out there. You've got you know there are some schools like Indiana University as an example does have their school of philanthropy. Um, so there are some pro- there are some programs out there that are starting to develop kind of nonprofit management mm-hmm. tracks. Now, one of the challenges with that, well, those are very good, and I applaud those programs that are out there. A lot of those tend to be on the philanthropic side, foundations, you know, those, those types of things, which is great, incredibly important work, uh, but it still leaves the association side of the equation a little bit in the dark. And, and so, you know, to the extent that we can help the rest of the world know the impact that we have, you know, Indiana, for, as an example, just the association community itself has over $470 million annual economic impact on the state of Indiana. That's huge. We employ collectively over 2,500 employees, Hoosiers in the state of Indiana. Uh, So to understand that this is a legitimate 
field, a legitimate piece of the workforce is huge. One of the things we're doing, ISA is doing with our brand awareness is focusing on uh, the folks downtown at the state house mm. and helping them understand this community is out here. Uh, so much of what they do, you know, when they're looking at enacting new legislation for this, that, or the other thing, oftentimes that legislation impacts people that are in some line of work out there, uh, you know, new standards, whatever it might be. So if they realize there's an association that represents this thing that we're debating right now, it's not even so much about that association. Sometimes associations kind of get that negative reputation of they're just out there complaining all the time on behalf of the people that work with them or whatever. You hear a lot about, you know, unions as an example, which is certainly a form of a membership association, but, um, and how they're just, they're all about, it doesn't matter what impact, what impact this has on everybody else. I'm just worried about my workers. Uh, there's so much more to it than that. And, and so you, you talk about like, our legislators here for them to realize there's a group with that represents the larger association industry that they could go to just to get information and education not to get beat up by mm -hmm. but just to be educated so that they're making the best decisions they can make that will that will pay huge dividends for the association industry if we can build awareness that way uh, we did a uh, we did a, a luncheon a couple of years ago at the state house and the Lieutenant governor came down and was, she was standing in front of me and she picked, we had a flyer up there and, and she picked up the flyer and on the flyer, it talked about this 470 plus million dollar economic impact. It talked about the, you know, over 90% of, of all the expenses that associations incur stay within the state. Mm -hmm. Um, we talked about the meetings impact and all that kind of stuff that we bring into the state. You look at someone like uh, FFA here in Indiana. Mm -hmm. They have a huge conference every year downtown Indianapolis that they are bringing in literally thousands of families and students into the city. So the impact on Indiana, on Indiana's economy from just that one event alone is huge. Um, uh, and there's, there's countless examples of those mm -hmm. things that happen here. So, you know, she picked up this flyer, she saw this and she just handed it to one of her aides and said, why don't we know more about this group? And I thought, ding, ding, this is exactly what I wanted to right. happen. And then she, boy, this year she came and spoke at our state conference at ISA state conference. Mm -hmm. So, um, there's, we're getting there. We're, we're making some inroads. It's just, it's, it's going to take a lot of repetitive mm -hmm. efforts um, to keep kind of touting our message, yep. but we feel like we're making some inroads. I, like, like most of us out there, not just in the association world, but most of us in general this past year had, um, had its impact on us and kind of stunted a little bit of our, mm -hmm. of our effort, ever efforts, but we're picking back up and we're ready to keep moving forward. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about just kind of that awareness piece, right, I, I think a lot of just the general public, which I know is obviously an extremely broad <laughs> way to label them, but I think they don't know about an association until they need it, mm -hmm. right? Until, again, it personally impacts them or um, the way a group lobbied for something to, to protect their job, yep. maybe, right? Yep. They no longer 
now they're like, oh yeah, now I'm very aware of what associations are here for because it, it personally benefited me. And I think that the more we can kind of tell them what we're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what mm -hmm. we told them kind of concepts, at least, especially at the state house, I think will be very helpful yeah. for us. Yeah. So again, on this kind of pipeline um, piece, what are some of the, the key skill sets or things um, that folks should be focusing on if they're already interested in associations or even association adjacent kind of industries at this point? What can we do to prepare those folks for maybe that shift or that first job with an association? I mean, people skills are huge. That And I realize sometimes that's not very tangible, but uh, especially when you go back to the point that that most association staffs tend to be relatively small. So, you know, if you're an, an accounting type of person, a payables type of person, and that's all you want to do, you get into a larger association and you, you could have that opportunity. But if, if you're really looking to get more involved in the membership piece of it, those people skills are, are huge to develop. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a, an expert sales person, but you want to be able to be conversant with folks, um, understand just like in customer service. So if, you, if you've got a good customer service background, um, that can be tremendously helpful. I, you know, I, I remember a few years ago, uh, we were, <clears throat> there were conversations about, okay, where can we get people? We're having a hard time staffing this, that, or the other thing. And um, there were folks that were talking about, you know, I've gotten some of my best employees out of retail. Mm. Um, cashiers, uh, you know, wait staff, whatever the case might be. Um, because those are the people that are talking to people every single day. And they're having to figure out those skills on how to pivot when they need to. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, a, you've got a member that's in a great mood and loves what you're doing, fantastic. Love to talk to you all day long. But you're not always gonna have members that are feeling great about everything <laughs> you're doing. What? And <laughs> I know, surprise. And so you've got to be, just like if I'm working at, as a cashier at Ace Hardware, you know, I'm always not gonna have a happy customer. How do I respond to that? And if I've got experience having to pivot like that and adjust uh, and use those, those people skills, that will transfer largely over to what we do as associations. Because mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, for all of us, it's about our members. And if we can't keep our members happy, uh, we're really gonna be struggling. Mm -hmm. they, I mean, it, that our members are our are our lifeline. So we've got to make sure that we're responsive to them. The rest of it is, there are other tactical skills. Again, there's financial skills, budgeting skills, there's marketing skills, there's communication skills, all of those types of kind of hard skills, if you will. Um, and and the, the more you have of any of those things, certainly have more mark, be more marketable within the association community. Mm -hmm. um, but I think associations by and large are, we know we can't go to, we're not recruiting out of universities mm -hmm. to this person graduating with their bachelor's in association management, <laughs> you know, just, it's not there. Right. So we have to find those who just bring a natural skill set to the organization that we feel can mold, mm -hmm. be flexible, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, anything else that you, you know, it's important for folks to be thinking about, you think, as we, you know, have conversations with friends and family, strangers about 
the work we do. It's just, I think it's fun work. I wouldn't be doing it for 30 years if I didn't think it was fun work. I mean, it's challenging. It's not a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. No job is. Uh, but the variety of work that we have the opportunity to do um, is, it's just fun. Uh, and it is, it is, we've talked about it before. It's great to be able to see the impact right away on the things that you do. Uh, you know, sometimes associations have that reputation of being slow to change. Uh, I think by and large, as an industry, we're getting better at that. Uh, technology has certainly helped, but it used to be that, that, you know, anytime we wanted to make a decision or make a change, it had to go through so many layers of approval to get there. And I think our, our volunteer boards, uh, other volunteers are helping within the association, our, our professional structures have all, for the most part, are getting much more um, pliable mm. so that we recognize we can't have an idea today and realize well, we don't have a board meeting for another two months. Mm -hmm. So we got to wait two months. I think we've all become much more adaptable in being able to make decisions more quickly than we used to. Not every marketplace is forcing us to do that, Ab right? I mean, absolutely. we can't sit behind anymore. Uh, you know, I think for-profit companies at some level are seizing on the opportunities. Oh, we're competing directly against right? a lot of yeah, those. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably been one, you know, among the, the challenges we've all faced, you know, in technology itself. I mean, back, you go back to the early 90s when I was executive director of my national fraternity. And this was before email, um, before really the internet as we know it today. So the fanciest technology we had at that time was a fax machine. <laughs> and so, generally speaking, we would either get a phone call from somebody if it was really urgent. Otherwise, we were literally getting letters in the mail. So if I wrote a letter somewhere as a member, if I wrote a letter to my national office, it's going to take four days or whatever it was for it to get to the national office. By the time they read it and somebody responds to it, that's going to be a couple of days and then another four days for the letter to get back to me. So I'm not, I was, you know, it was, it was 10 days, two weeks for us expecting any kind of real response. And that was if they were really on top of it, mm -hmm. as opposed to now you get that email. And if I don't get a response back in 20 minutes, I'm irate because you're blowing me off. Mm -hmm. So that, that whole shift has certainly made it more challenging. Again, not unique to the association world at all, but kind of to your point, we now live in that, this Amazon world where as a consumer, I do expect just to be able to jump online, get immediate responses to things, to be able to order something online. I, as creepy as I want to say it is, there's the convenience that Amazon knows everything about me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my, my buying habits, all that kind of stuff. And now I want to know why my association doesn't know all of that about me as well. But yet if the association asks me about it, I, I'm very hesitant to provide that information because mm -hmm. it's none of your business. So it's, it is, you talk about us competing now against this for-profit world out there and we are. So uh, you're right for us to sit back and have to, some of those things we're unable to make many, there's not much we can do about it mm -hmm. right now because the financial investment to have the infrastructure that an Amazon or Google or whatever it has <laughs> You know, the average association is not going to have, but 
but there are things we can control. And so I think where associations have really matured over the past five to 10 years is better recognizing the things they can control and reacting to those things so that they're not caught behind. Education is another great example. I mean, the fact that that used to, it used to be that I joined my association because that was the only way I could get networking. It was the only way I could get education. And now I just have to join the latest online chat group and I can get my networking. And there are so many for-profit for organizations that are providing free education on a plethora of topics because that's their loss leader. It gives them good exposure to marketing for them. Um, and so we're competing against all of that, which makes it a challenge for sure. And I've been asked the question, so are associations, are, are, is our future limited? No, I don't think it is at all. It, we just, we've certainly had to learn and, and get creative in what we're doing. But, you know, you hear all the generational generalizations mm -hmm. and they just, those, you know, millennials want this or Gen Z wants that or whatever it might be. Well, we're, we're not seeing a fall off of participation in right. associations. Those folks that apparently, you know, we're told weren't joiners, like those of us, the baby boomers and the cuspers and all that, that the Gen Xers that were joiners, um, we're not seeing that play out. Fortunately, what we are seeing is that the expectations are probably higher mm -hmm. than they used to be. We've got to deliver on that promise to them. Um, what we do to everybody. Mm -hmm. And when I look at my my peers, you know, my, my Gen X and baby boomer peers out there, the expectation is still there for them too. I heard somebody recently say, you know, it's not that millennials and Gen Zs want anything different than older generations wanted. They just learned how to speak up for it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So now the, those older generations are looking at the folks coming into the work, the, the employment, the, the workforce now. And there's a sense of an appreciation that thank you for speaking up because you know it, that we should have years ago when we just didn't. Mm -hmm. We were afraid to, whatever it might be. So I look at stuff like we're doing now, these podcasts, the stuff that the YP committee is doing with, ISAE, um, and I applaud it. I think it's fantastic. You know, I, I remember when um, a couple of years ago, whenever it was, three years ago, four years ago, whenever we, we really started kind of recreating the Young Professional Committee in ISAE, I went to our board and said, I had just come from another industry meeting. And I said, look, you know, ISA used to have this SIG group years ago. We had a bunch of them. And they all kind of petered out mm -hmm. over time. And so we didn't have any focused thing going on with young professionals. And so I went to our board and said, we really need to be doing something new and getting something going in ISA again, if we're serious about engaging and keeping folks in this industry. Otherwise you get, you're gonna get these young professionals coming in, not getting what they want in the industry, they get some experience and they leave. Um, so, they all agree. I mean, it was hardly a sale. It was not a hard sales job. They were all about doing it. And they said, yes, when you do it. And I said, now here's the tough part. And I looked around the room, myself included. And I said, not one of us around this table are qualified to start this, by the way. Mm -hmm. So then they all kind of sheepishly agreed with that too. So, because there's no way we could have, I couldn't have done it. Nobody around the board table could have done it and said, okay, 
here's, we're going to create this YP group and this is what it's going to do and this is what it's going to look like. So we had no idea. Yeah. So the fact that, that the group has taken off like it has and now coming up with stuff like this YP or this, this podcast series, this is, it's just incredible stuff. Yeah. And I think we have just a really unique opportunity. You know, I, yes, that competition's there, but I think, again, as we think about just, again, the day-to-day work of association professionals and how we can explain that to people, you know, we're, we're out here coming up with new ideas, just like the for-profit side. And in some ways we're, we're borrowing what they're doing because oh, we yeah. see that it works. And yep. I think that's really exciting. Well, Mark, thanks for, for being here with me today. Absolutely. Uh, before we close out, how can folks get in touch with you? How can they reach you on the internet? They can always go to isae.org. Uh, that's the easiest way. You can get my information at isae.org. You can get Millie's and Stu's information at isae.org. That's probably the simplest thing to do. And email, call me. Happy to, I, I love talking to people about association work. It's been extremely rewarding to me. And if I can help other people find a passion in it, love doing it. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of You Should Hear This. If you have any questions you'd like answered or future topics you'd like us to explore, please send us an email at info.isae.org.